The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello, Tour Dope Village. It's Julie Foudy. Alongside me, Lynn Zowie. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Jules. Guess what? It's officially our last episode of season three. I don't I don't know whether I should weep or do a celebratory <laughs> dance. Either way, I think we both can agree we are closing out the season on a very high note. We are so thrilled to have Special Olympics superstar Loretta Claiborne on the show. Loretta is the chief inspiration officer for Special Olympics and has been a Special Olympics athlete since 1970. She's competed in six World Games and medaled in running, bowling, and figure skating. Swaggy loves her as well. She's an accomplished runner. In fact, Loretta has completed 26 marathons. Oh, and she's a fourth degree black belt in karate. Yes, she is amazing. In 1996, she received the Arthur Ashe Courage Award at the ESPYs, and Loretta has received not one, but two honorary doctorates. She is a motivational speaker and says she uses her voice for those who don't have one. Above all, Loretta is an example for all of us when it comes to humanity and how we should treat one another. So get comfortable listening. It's Loretta Claiborne. Hey there, Dope Village. Lynn and I have been involved in women's sports our entire lives. And truly, we've never been more excited for what's to come in this women's sports space. And one big reason, Ally. Ally has made a commitment to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And that means more money going to women's sports and more visibility for what these incredible athletes are accomplishing. Ally is on a mission to change the game for women's sports. So here at Laughter Permitted, we're going to keep telling the stories of trailblazing women. And every time you listen in, you are part of that change. To learn more about Ally, go to ally.com. Hey there, Dope Village. As y'all know, Ally has backed Laughter Permitted since day one of our podcast as our financial ally. and. Honestly, Lynn, I might just tattoo Ally on my forehead. And Ally is currently on a mission to change the game for women sports. And get this, along with being sponsors of the National Women's Soccer League, Atlantic Coast Conference, United States Golf Association, and the Las Vegas Aces, Ally has committed to an equal media investment in women's and men's sports. And you, my friends, can be part of the change by watching your favorite athletes crush it on TV, by going to women's sporting events in person, by, I don't know, maybe listening to every single episode of this amazing podcast on trailblazing women. Because every time you show up for women's sports, you are helping move the game forward. You can learn more about Ally by visiting ally.com. Let's do this, Loretta. Are you ready to roll? 
I'm ready to rumble. Let's get ready to rumble. I always wanted to do that. All right. So the first thing, Loretta, we do on this podcast is we always have our guest set the scene. So where are you? What are you doing? Tell us where you're at. I'm currently in a little town called Somerset, uh, a little county called Somerset in Pennsylvania, and a little town called Shanksville. So that's where I'm currently at now. Hopefully tomorrow I'll be back in York, Pennsylvania, my home. Your home of York, Pennsylvania. Well, Lynn and I are super honored to be able to talk with you because um, both of us know the Special Olympics with our work with ESPN. And we often actually talk about how once you've been exposed to the Special Olympics, you become a part of the movement. And, and so we thought actually for people who aren't familiar, Loretta, with the Special Olympics, can you just explain what it actually is? Special Olympics started out in 1968. It's basically a sport and training competition for people with intellectual disabilities. But a lot of people, as time went by, would say, oh, it's just for people with intellectual disabilities. And that's not true. It's for everyone. Mm -hmm. Because we have what they call a program called Unified Sports, where a regular person, like Linda, who's uh, she's a professor, her and I would go off on the golf course on the same team. You mm -hmm. and somebody could play basketball or, or do your sport. For mm -hmm. instance, for you, Mrs. Faldi, you could play football, what we call soccer here. You could play <laughs> your sport with a person with intellectual disability. And the whole thing is, is being inclusive, bringing people together. Mm -hmm. And that started in 1968 because people like me were sitting on the other side of the field and just watching. But today we have over 6 million athletes. So when we say 6 million, that includes our young athletes program, children two and a half to seven. From there, you become a Special Olympics athlete. You can start as regular competition at eight years old. So when you look at our program, we have programs for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm an older athlete, but there's still programs if I want to go out and stay in shape. My big thing is, is, is to stay in shape at my age. I'm 66, so I want to stay in shape. Mm -hmm. Because the more you're in shape physically and mentally, the better off you'll be. And we know that staying in shape has an impact when you do get sick. It's proven that you're able to fight off a lot of the uh, extra illnesses or keep them at bay, I should say. I'm not a doctor. Keep them at bay, such as your diabetes, your high blood pressure, mm -hmm. those type of things to stay in shape. My mother died at a young age. I suppressed her and a brother and a sister, two brothers and a sister. And I still think it's due to, number one, my faith in God. Number two, a lot to do with staying physically strong as well as mentally strong. And that's yeah. what Special Olympics provides for everyone. We'll talk about how you've been such an incredible ambassador for not just Special Olympics, but an advocate as well for people with intellectual disabilities. But first, go back to mom in York, Pennsylvania, which you just mentioned you're from, and your childhood. Can we start there? Sure, no problem. My mother uh, was a single mother, saw a lot of discrimination in her time because of being Black. Uh, my mother had really nine children, two that make it into this world, and she had seven that made it. And I was born, she was told when I was born, she, oh, Miss Claiborne, this one does 
is not going to make it. My mother and her big, broad self says, you do your job and you let me take care of my children. As long as God gives me my children, you let me deal with that. My mother just wanted me to be like my sisters and brothers. But after, after so long, she knew that I wasn't learning as fast as my brothers and sisters, even though she tried to help me. And she had me tested and they determined that I had intellectual disability. There was some brain damage. I didn't see till I was four. I didn't walk till I was four. And of course they moved some cataract, some kind of shield off my eyes. And mm. um, to repeat your first three years in school and you become that 10 year old who was in the second grade, you know what happens, you get bullied. And as time went by, it was just fighting my way through the jungle. My mother wanted me to graduate from school, but I had other dreams. I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to be an athlete, and I wanted to be a veterinarian. And I knew my dreams weren't going to come true after I got my children, seeing what my sisters were doing, seeing what other friends were doing. And I got into high school, and I had my first experience at Special Olympics in 1970. 52 years later, I'm still here. I always said if I would have quit, I would have been two places, in somebody's jail, prison, or six feet under. Mm. It's the best thing that could ever happen. Where they say God closes one door, he opens another with brighter light, he opened that one. We're giving hope to a lot of our athletes. We're mm. giving um, courage to a lot of our athletes. We're getting discipline to a lot of our athletes. I've seen athletes come into Special Olympics and they were like me violent, negative, didn't care. But when they wanted something, the coach come up to them, talk to them. They might've been out of the program for a year when they seen their friends going on to a competition. The next thing you know, they settled down, they got their act together, and then they were going to competitions. And then that same athlete was saying, I want to get a job. And I know an athlete right now that had behavior problems. He has a job. He, he's doing fine. Mm. What was it like in school, Loretta? What kind of names did they call you? Ex explain that atmosphere. Well, I don't know what kind of audience you're hitting. I always remember my mom would say these words. And she says it was like hell on earth. And that's what it was like for me in school. I remember repeating kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. And I remember just getting, walking down the hall, not bothering nobody. And I would get called rude names, retard. Hey, Bozo. Hey, Clarence, the cross-eyed lion. It was awful. If I had my choice as a child in elementary school, I would rather not go to school. Middle school, still, it was bad. And still to this day, I see some of the guys who bully me. I see them at my local market, and I said, why didn't you do that? And he says, because it was the thing to do. Mm. School was not pleasant. Mm. Mm. How was high school? High school started out rough, but it got better. But I had to fight my way through the jungle. What do you mean, fight your way through the jungle? Fight my way through the jungle, because as soon as I got to high school, I said, I'm not going to have this happen to me in 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Got in the cafeteria, a girl came around and just pushed me and called me a name for no reason at all. And I turned around, and I grabbed her, and I fought her down to the ground. And I remember Mr. Spells picking me up by my shirt and taking me to the office. And I remember saying to the principal, I'm tired and I can't take this anymore. And then they had the school to work program and I went to work a week and to school a week. And that was going to prepare me to go full time into the workshop once I graduated. When you talk about that 
fighting, Loretta, I've heard you say this. You said a teacher came to you and said, you can go further with your feet than you can with your fists. Right? Yep. <laughs> he didn't know that was going to be literal, did he? No. <laughs> nope. And I started running at the age of 12 with my brother Hank. There was a rule. We were allowed to run, but you couldn't leave the project. And what did you love about running? How did you find it? My brother Hank and his friends, they, he was on the track team and he was a wrestler and they would practice in the field and he would go down to the metal field and bring them about a mile from the house and he would, him, some friends would bring the hurdles up and they would run. He had this bunch of friends and of course they were all guys and this was before girls did sport. There was no Title IX and I would watch him and then he would run around the field and I would go around following him. It was this big field in our projects. And mm -hmm. I would just follow Hank and them. The guys kind of drew to me. And then as Hank got into cross country, he would run from Parkway and he would run out to the college and he watched me behind them. I, I was really close to my brother Hank. And that's mm -hmm. how I started running at the age of 12. You've talked about how you were angry, especially it sounds like in high school. Yeah, I was angry all my life. When did in elementary school, I was angry. High school, I was angry. When, what was the turning point for you when you were able to channel that anger into something else? I think the turning point came when I was going to the shelter workshop and going to school a week. And when I went to the shelter workshop, the guy asked me about doing Special Olympics. Well, he found out that I would run back and forth to the workshop. He said to me, he said, Loretta, I think you could really do well if you stick with our program. So every other week I would go back to school and then do shelter workshop. We would start training. And um, I finally got into Special Olympics. That January, we'd go out up to the park from the workshop and run around the park. And he couldn't believe how fast I could run and how far. And I just kept going running. And he would just walk up to me and stop in front of me and says, that's enough. And then I ended my first Special Olympic competition. It was a local one. You had to be in the program a full year before you could go to the state competition. So in 1971, I went to my first state competition in Westchester, Pennsylvania at Westchester University. What did that feel like, like having been on the sidelines and now you're actually in a competition? It was great because it was the thing, I, you know, I dropped wanting to be the nurse, I dropped wanting to be the artist, I dropped wanting to be the doctor, those unrealistic dreams that I had. And I thought, gee, you know, I can be something. Your dream becomes a reality that really, I can, you really want me on your team? Nobody else wants me. Mm. And that was the turning point. What did you love about the feeling of running? What I love about the feeling of running is something that I can do and nobody can take it away from me but God. Mm. And it's just putting one foot in front of the other. It doesn't require no equipment. It doesn't require money. You can just get out there on the road. The road is free. And I'm by myself and I can think. I use my running to think. Because I used to fight with my fists. Now when I get in an argument or a tough time with a family member, I said, let me run over this. Let me pray on this one. And I'll go out and run 10 miles. And I even use it for my board meetings or when I'm thinking about a big speech. I'll go out and run. And then I think what I want to say. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that one, Loretta. I do my best thinking while running, too. I hear you on that. I did many years of martial arts. I did 28 years of martial arts and running, it's just me. Me in the street, me in the road. 
you got six gold medals in Special Olympics World Games, right? You won the gold in the half marathon and you've run, not just ran, you sprinted 26 marathons, sister. Come on. You ran the Boston I saw in three hours and three minutes. That's That's like a sub seven minute mile, right? It's about seven minute mile. Oh my goodness! Twenty-six marathons. Is that right? There's none of this. Uh, there was no diet. There was no particular way to run like you do now. You go out and do so many fartlek, you know, speed running, and have guys train you. Special shoes. There was none of that. I just, I just wanted to run. And my friend Bob Hollis, him and I just decided, let's run a marathon. And I'll never forget being at a Special Olympics cross country type thing down at the down in Washington, D.C. And this guy came up to me, Frank Dean says, would you like to run a marathon? Have you ever ran one? And I said, yes. And the lady who was with me at the time, Michelle, said, oh, yeah, Loretta's ran a couple of them. He says, he turns around and looks at her and says, oh, you know, these kids, they just dream. I don't think she could run that far. <laughs> and, and Mrs. Michelle says, oh, yeah, she does run that far. <laughs> and he asked me, did I want to go to Boston? And I said, well, I don't have no money for Boston. And I had to qualify just like anybody else. There was no special mm-hmm. provision. Oh, because you're a Special Olympics athlete, you can go? No, I had to qualify with the same times as any other woman. So I had to run at least under three hours and 15 minutes at the time. And mm-hmm. now the standards, I think you can run like with a, 3.30, time now for women. Mm. That, for the record, that's three hours is about what I run a half marathon in, which I'm pretty proud about. Loretta. That's right. That's, as long as you're proud about it and, and as long as you achieve a goal, my goal was just to run 26 miles. Right. That's all mm. I wanted to do. And then wow. the first time I ran it, because they had that problem with Rosie Ruiz, who ran part of the race and got on a metro or a bus and ran finished at the end right they looked at me i looked too fresh and they said to me oh the guy actually grabbed a hold of me and i was like get off of me sir and these two guys that three guys that were running behind me i met them on heartbreak hill well i met them throughout the race i met them and again up at heartbreak hill and when as we came down the hill you go past the baseball stadium they were letting out these guys kind of all three of us kind of stayed together on Heartbreak Hill. There's a woman's school that was giving out deflated beer. I took a swig of it. I said, oh, I was going to ditch it. And they said, no, 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 no. Give that to us. That gives you energy. <laughs> so as we finish coming through the chute, this guy goes to grab me. He says, oh, no, we don't want to. You didn't run this race. Blah, 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 blah. And the guys, all three of them says, we've been looking at her backside for 26 miles. Yes, she did <laughs> run this race. They were going to pull me out. I've been chasing her backside 20, for 26, 26 miles. Because we kept running. Uh, I'd see them. And then, and then we met up on, on Heartbreak Hill again. So that it, it's just one of those hurdles you have to get over. And, you know, it's like run a marathon. I, I learned one thing. No matter how fast you are or how slow you are, you, you learn to bond. Right. You do. I find people in the half marathon that I just start chatting to. My sister, who used to run them with me, says mm-hmm. I chat too much so she wouldn't run next to me. And I said, I have to chat to, dis- to distract me. So I find strangers and I start talking to them. 
<laughs> I'm like, hey, yeah. how's it going? What are you doing? Join oh, yourself? people used to get mad at me because I was like, oh, what's up? What's your, you know, how's things <laughs> yeah. going? They, used to, they were looking at me like, really? You got that much energy to run your mouth? <laughs> you and I, I mean, would yes, be. I, I got six more miles to go, brothers. Catch you later. <laughs> You and I would be great running partners, Loretta. We would just yeah. chat the whole time. Let's do this, Loretta. You yeah. and I. Maybe then I could actually run a full. I'm too, I'm too afraid. I'm very, very afraid. Um, Those days are over for me. I just like to run and enjoy it. Yeah, I hear you. That's what I feel like. I don't even need to cross that off my bucket list. I, I imagine when you were younger, you felt like you didn't have a voice. So. How did you find your voice? You know, I found my voice along the way. Uh, my mom used to always say to people, don't speak for her, let her speak for herself. Mm. And my sister would say, oh, well, Loretta said this. She said, I didn't hear it coming out of Loretta's mouth. Mm -hmm. I came out of your mouth, let Loretta speak for herself. My mom was encouraging, but I think it was people along the way that gave me that positive ad attitude. I remember Miss Janet McFarland. She was an advocate through the arc. She's now deceased. And I remember driving up the road. She says, Loretta, you never talk. I said, what's the point? You know, I was just thinking in that in my head. What's the point? Why should I talk? Nobody was here, dummies. That's how I felt about myself. And this was early 80s. People were still institutionalized, and they were starting to leave people out of institutions. And she wanted me to go to somewhere and talk. And I was like, well, you know talk like that and she just pushed me and she encouraged me little pushes like Loretta I like you to go to go to a school and talk to some elementary kids and she would go and talk because she worked for the ARC at the time mm -hmm. Loretta, what's the ARC Association for Retarded Citizens back in the 70s 80s now it's just the ARC they don't use that acronym it's just the ARC just like the YMCA is Young Men's Christian Association it's just now the Y Mm -hmm. And um, she had worked for the state. She met me by, I was babysitting for somebody next door to her, babysitting these kids. And, and then they went over and she had a cat. And of course, I'm going to be drawn to the kitty. And I didn't know she worked for the ARC. She talked to my mother and asked, could she be paired up with me? And she says, I think you could speak. So she started taking me to this group down in, I'll never forget it. It was down in what they call Valley Forge. And it was a group of people that met. And it was called Speaking for Ourselves. And that's how she got me started. So it was people along the way. And I always tell people, if you have a big boat and you have 20 people in that boat, two people only row that boat, you're not going to get far. But if you have that big boat and all 20 of them start moving those oars, you're going to get farther. And so I always say you don't do nothing by yourself. If you meet somebody and says, oh, I did this all myself, I would say to you, yeah, right. Because <laughs> you don't do nothing by yourself. Ain't that the truth? You have not only given a lot of talks now, you've gone and spoken to presidents, you've gone to the Vatican, you've met the Pope, yes, you've yeah. done congressional hearings, you've been on the Hill. But what I love most about all of that is you constantly, to your point about the boat, you're talking about the power of using your voice and getting others to speak up. Yes. Why is that so important? Because I believe in 
if you don't use your voice to speak up for yourself, how are you going to help somebody else? So I use my voice to help somebody else. God gave me this voice, not just for me, but to give to others. Over the years, how have you seen the treatment of intellectually disabled people evolve? It has gotten better throughout the years, but we still have a long way to go. What would you like to see in our society? That everyone has the same right to healthcare, education, the right to live, the right to work, the same rights as anyone else. And that we are people just like everyone else and that we do contribute, we do pay taxes. I remember when I first started Special Olympics, coach got mad at me and said, Loretta, you can't go to soccer this year because you were absent too much. I said, but I've been speaking for Special Olympics and working for Special Olympics. Here's the paper and I would bring them in, show her where I was doing and where I was at. And I was at a leadership meeting. And she says, no. About three years later, go to soccer practice. Where is everybody? I said, well, Colt, he's working. Mike's working. All of our teammates were working. Mm. And there was three of us that showed up at that practice. And I turned around, looked at the coach, and I said, coach, a couple of years ago, you said I couldn't go to Fall Fest for soccer because I was working. Welcome to the new world. <laughs> Our people are working. Everyone doesn't work at a shelter workshop, and everyone doesn't get to stay home on Saturday. Our people have real jobs. Loretta, sadly, what I took from that story is the fact that you played soccer. Football. You, Football. Yeah, you didn't mention that before. Come on. Oh, I played a lot of sports. I played tennis. I played a lot of football. I played softball. I ski, yeah. ice skate, yeah. roller yeah. skate, basketball, slash football, tennis. Yeah. I, I, I played a lot of sports. How I many are you still like, playing? I play like nine sports a year. Whoa, goodness. We're goodness. currently looking for a football coach, which is soccer, you know, oh. in America, football worldwide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Loretta, I know someone who would make a great football coach. Or do they live near York, Pennsylvania? Julie, you wouldn't mind making a stop in Pennsylvania every it's so Right often, around coach. the corner from California. I am Ooh, there. That's 2,000 miles. That's a long plane ride. You don't want to be on a plane today. I, I'll start jogging. I'll start running out there. It'll be my marathons back to back to back to back. <laughs> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. You once said that I want to see a world without labels, which when you said that, I was like, yes. Leave the label for the jar that's sitting on the table. (laughs) How do we get there? Keep working. Yeah. And have it out there that people understand that people shouldn't be judged by a label or by the color of the skin, about how smart they are about how rich they are or how poor they are. 
that if we just think about how people can be people, our society would be a better place. Yeah. And just to get to know people, right? To, just to know people. It, because this is something we talk a lot about on this podcast, but I'm a big believer in the world opens up and much more alike than we are different. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that's not my dog actually barking. This is, this is a new thing. But the world, we're much more alike than we are different if we just got to know each other a little more. I'll walk down the street and I'll say hi when I'm running or I'll walk or sitting somewhere and I'll say hi and somebody says, girl, you say hi to everybody. <laughs> I said, you know, that's the problem. That's the problem in the nutshell. It doesn't hurt you to say hi, whether it's to nod your head or wave your hand. Yeah. Spread a little smile. Loretta, what have you learned from sports over the years? What have I learned from sports over the year? I learned how to drop my anger and direct it in a different way. Mm. I learned how to be closer to people and respect people. Because when I first got in Special Olympics, I didn't think nobody liked me. So why should I like somebody else? I've gotten so much uh, the discipline from sport. Mm. I used to fight with my fist all the time, I'd take you out. And now, I remember being at a meeting one time, the guy said something really negative to me. I would normally pick up something and throw it, or <laughs> pick up the glass and throw it. And I said, I could use humor. I could show my, it's terrible. I can say this. I could show my ass or show my class. And I decide to show the laughter now. So I've learned so much from sport. This is my quote I'm taking with me. You can show your ass or show or your, class. your class. Boom! Loretta. Yes. It's game time, sister. Let's go. Did you, did you bring your squeaky toy? Oh, what do you got? A squeaky cheeseburger. <laughs> I don't even eat cheeseburger. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Oh. Look at that. Uh, Loretta, I'm going to show you mine. A whoopee cushion. Yes. <laughs> I bought a bigger one, Loretta. Last week I had a little one and it would make just a little poof and you couldn't hear me squeak in. So look out, sister. <laughs> this one's for real. Every okay. podcast we play a trivia game. It's going to be mm. five questions. The main rule of this game is that you do have to squeak in with an answer. And the theme of this game is Loretta's Metam. So all of these questions are about people Loretta has met. Oh, okay. Number one, Denzel Washington presented Loretta with the Arthur Ashe Courage Award in 1996. How many Academy Awards has Denzel won? Is it A, one, B, two, or C, three? Loretta. Three. Incorrect. Oh, God, I have no idea. Julie can steal. Uh, one. Incorrect. Uh, two. two. Number two, Loretta has spent time with President Barack Obama in the Oval Office. Where did he go to law school? Is it Loretta? Harvard. Correct. Loretta's up one zip. Next, number three, Loretta has also met former First Lady Michelle Obama. Who have you not met, Loretta? What is the name of Michelle Obama's best-selling memoir? 
Is it A, growing, B, turning, or C, becoming? Becoming. Correct. This one might be my favorite. Number four, Loretta has been on the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, come many, on. Loretta, how many times have you been on Oprah? Is that, is that, wait, is that the question? That was the sub question. I wanted, okay. I wasn't sure if it was okay. two or three. three. Baltimore in 1980s some, and then it was two more. I think wow. 96 and there was another one. So we are establishing that Loretta knows Oprah. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Here is the question. Which of these journalists became a lifelong friend to Oprah after they worked together in Baltimore? Is it? Oh. Did you just whoopee cushion in? No, no, okay. that was a grunt. Oh. <laughs> was, it, was it A, Robin Roberts, B, Maria Shriver, or C, Diane Sawyer? Maria Shriver. Correct. I didn't even whoopee in. <laughs> I think you just got your booty kicked. Oh my God. I do want to share question five. Uh, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reinflate. Loretta, you were good friends with Eunice Shriver, who started Special Olympics. <laughs> and the question was about the motto that she said in 1968, the first Special Olympics World Games. And I was wondering if you could share that motto. The motto was, let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be brave and attempt. And she decided to take this model from the Roman soldiers as they went to war. A lot mm. of people thought that she created that, but she always gave credit. And she says, let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt, which is a oh. fitting model that we can use, everyone can use today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ain't that the truth? What's also the truth is I just got spanked in that game. Right on, I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, Loretta, most pressing questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. I heard you're an avid knitter. I, you, I just knitted. What are you make it? I'm making preemie hats for hospitals. Aww. And I just knitted another 101 preemie hats. And I took some over to a lady for McGee Women's Hospital, which is in Pittsburgh. And they're for preemie babies. And I just took her another 56 knockers. Knockers are the inserts that she'll send to Washington State. They'll wash them and clean them and stuff them and put them in cancer centers for women who lose their breasts to cancer. Mm. And they put that little insert in the bra to fill out like if they have a nice dress on or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I make preemie hats and I do these knitted knockers. Aww. And I probably That's made awesome. my time over a thousand preemie hats in the last five years. A thousand? And I just counted up my knockers. I just took over another 56 and I had 196 done. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to make sure I like to end up at equal numbers. So I ended up with a, the extra 56. So I ended up with 152 done, but I got four more in my bag. I just finished off two last night in the day. Mm -hmm. Wow. I've been doing this for years. I did it yeah. back in Katrina. I taught ladies how to knit. And we knitted for Tulane Hospital. And we knitted knockers. In Aww. 2009, we knitted 
scarves for uh, Special Olympics to give to the athletes as they came to the World Games that year. That's I awesome. do a lot of giving back. Yeah, thank you. What is better, having a building named after you in York, PA, York, Pennsylvania, or, and I've got a lot of ors here, a fourth degree black belt in karate, or having two honorary doctorates, or having a Disney movie of your life story? The first three that you named is great. And I know I'm not big on movies and stuff like that. It took a long time for them to, to make the movie on my life because I kept saying, no, no, no. And then a friend of mine says, Loretta, maybe this could help somebody else, some other child across the railroad track or some other child that's just like you at one through school that got bullied. And so I decided for them to make the movie. I really didn't want a movie made on my life. That's just not me. But how could I share my life and make something better if it only impacts one teacher? on how to treat a child, or if it impacts one student who's bullying mm -hmm. on how not to bully, then it is successful. I don't care if it makes a billion dollars, I got almost nothing for it, but what I got from it is that it's changing the world in its way. If it changes one child or one teacher or one parent on how they should accept their child, it's worth it. Yeah, amen to that, that's awesome. All right, Loretta, our last and final most pressing question. What is your best bad joke, Loretta? My best bad joke? You really want my best bad joke? <laughs> yeah, I do, because I'm going to give you mine, too. Why does a golfer wear two pairs of pants? Why? In case he gets a hold in one. <laughs> and it's a sport joke. It's a good one. It's a sport joke. Okay, um, what do you call a bear with no teeth? A root bear? A gummy bear. Oh, that's right. Gummy bear candy. <laughs> oh, sugar. All right, Loretta, last segment, and then we'll let you go. Sure. Thank you again for taking the time no with problem. us. We call this, um, our segment is the high, low cheer segment. And this is something I do around the dinner table with my kids. Yes. I ask them, they're high of the day, they're low of the day, and someone they cheer for. For you, I would like to know the high of your career, the low of your career, and someone you're grateful for who has helped you along the way. That's your cheer. Okay. My high cheer was being come becoming an athlete and fulfilling my dreams through Special Olympics. My low cheer would be not being accepted as a whole when I was younger. Because the reason I say that, it when you're younger, it depicts on how you're going to be when you're older. And you want to get away from that, but it's hard to do. That's part of life. And if anybody tells you that something has happened to them and they get it, if it was bad enough, they don't. It still sits in the back of your mind. So that would be my low cheer. In your cheer, Loretta, for someone you're grateful for? You know, I can't put it on one person that I'm grateful for because I could say my mother, my, you know, Eunice Kennedy Shriver was definitely one person. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so many, Janet McFarland, who's not here, Linda Marr and her husband, Becky Hollis. I have too many people, so I can't put it on one. Mm-hmm. I'm just cheerful for the good people that I have in my life. Mm. Do you ever take a moment and stop and recognize all that you have done as well? Couldn't do it without the blessings of God. Mm. You, I mean, you look back over the course of your life. I mean, look what you've lived and done and the example you're setting and how you're willing and courageous enough to speak up and tell others to speak up and fight for themselves. I mean... It's amazing, Loretta. I hope you take a moment to recognize that as well. Well, thank you. And thank you for spending the time with us, my friend. It was my honor. I hope that one day we can go jogging together. I hope too. What I should have reminded Loretta, (laughs) just now thinking, is I hope we can go running together and... Can you please slow it down for me? Because I don't think I don't think I can hang with her, honestly. Oh dear. All right, takeaways, Lynn. What do you got? I love Loretta's idea of a world without labels. Mm-hmm. And as you and I both know, that is what Special Olympics is all about. Uh, from a personal standpoint, through doing stories on Special Olympics athletes and also volunteering for Special Olympics, I have seen firsthand the beauty of inclusion, no judgment, mm-hmm. no labels, just across the board acceptance. It truly is a beautiful, magical thing. Yeah. And the power, too, which is my takeaway, of one person in your life giving you a little hope, whether it be a coach Mm -hmm. or a teacher. Mm -hmm. And simply someone telling you, you can. Yes, Mm -hmm. you can actually do this. And we actually do this amazing quiz at our leadership academies with the young girls um, where we ask them these questions of, you know, who won the last Super Bowl? Who was the MVP of the World Series? Who won the, you know, Academy Award for Best Actress? And they can't ever mm-hmm. get them. And then we say, well, we'll try this quiz. You know, who was the last teacher to impact you? When, when did a stranger do something kind for you? And they can, of course, right away, like, answer mm-hmm. it. And the lesson, of course, is, is that you don't have to be a headliner or a celebrity to make an impact, right? Yeah. That we all can... Uh, pass on kindness on a daily basis and lift someone up. And her story is a wonderful reminder of that. Without a doubt. And Loretta is obviously using her voice to continue to do that. Exactly. All right. In lieu of questions permitted, Lynn, how about just an overall takeaway from season three? Since it is our last episode. I don't even know where to start. I know. You start. You start. (laughs) 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 well we're living in a crazy time and living through history Mm -hmm. in this season i think we both would agree um was challenging in a wonderful way right like how do you capture the tone of what's happening how do you bring joy when we're in the middle of the pandemic how do you bring clarity when we're in the middle of protests and division and all these things mm-hmm. and so we've spent a lot of time the two of us talking about who to bring on what are we talking mm-hmm. about um and i think my takeaway just in general 
is that I'm fascinated with our potential to constantly learn and grow. Hmm. Be it from the pandemic or the racial injustice I was so damn naive to that continues to happen in this country. And it's why I feel really blessed to be in a position to interview and sit down and chat with these women yeah. who give us incredible perspective about stories of perseverance and triumph and, and basic human decency, which I think we could use a lot more of right mm -hmm. now in this country, honestly. I'm really tired of the division and you hear these incredible stories and I'm given hope and I'm, and I'm mm -hmm. grateful for them for that. Yeah, I totally agree. So much gratitude for our guests and the conversations we had with them this season. I think it was unlike any season we've done before. So my season three takeaway is really more from this time in my life, and it centers around this idea of being authentic. And where that comes from is right at the beginning of quarantine, I had a session with my therapist, who is super awesome, in which we talked about being authentic. And what I realized is that I wouldn't always share with people in my life if I was struggling or how much I was, because... Mm -hmm. I've dealt with depression for a long time. You and I have talked a lot about this. and um, But I wouldn't always say exactly how things were going sometimes because I mm -hmm. felt like I maybe was being a burden or I needed to rise to the occasion. And after this conversation with my therapist, I just became dedicated to being open and honest about how I was really doing. And the last few months had their challenges. Mm -hmm. And I would say really for the first time in our friendship, I, I didn't hold back if I was having a hard time or I needed to vent. And by being honest with you, what's amazing is that it gave you the opportunity to be there for me. Mm. And you definitely were. And in life, if you're lucky enough to have Julie Foudy in your corner, <laughs> you should take advantage of that. So yeah, it's a big takeaway for my life, really. Just this idea that the more authentic I am, the more authentic I am with everyone in my life, the deeper my connections can go. Yeah. And just being real about where you are at that moment, right? I think it's hard mm -hmm. for anyone. It's like we want to, with all the craziness surrounding us, to be like, no, things are fine. I'm fine. Right. No, I'm fine. Yes. I swear I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and resisting that and being okay with, no, I'm not fine. And this is what's right. bugging me, or this is where mm -hmm. I'm struggling and I need this and this. And like being better about voicing that, all of us. I think that's mm -hmm. such a great, healthy reminder for me as well. So I thank you for that. Um, and it is important for people to hear that it's not all rainbows and butterflies all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I think that just being able to have the dialogue, you know, and I, I hope that it's a two-way street. I think you know that I always have your back as well. So if I have your back, then why wouldn't I give you the opportunity to have my back too? You only have my back about 20 times in season three. <laughs> At least. <laughs> so thank you for that. All right. That's a wrap on season three. It's been an honor to spend the time with our dope village these last few months. And remember to hunt joy, my friends, to be there for one another, to lift others up. Let's start there, mm. right? We need more of that. And thank you to our sponsors, Ally Bank and Cliff Bar and Company for their support of this village. Please go support them as well. And thank you to Kate Diaz 
for our wonderful theme music. And one last time for season three. As always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter permitted. Let me win. But if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. 30 for 30 podcasts in association with ESPNW presents Heavy Metals Inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire, a multi-part podcast series that takes a sweeping look at the influence of legendary USA Gymnastics coaches Bella and Marta Caroli and the hidden culture of fear and intimidation at their Caroli Ranch. Exposed to the world during the 2016 Larry Nasser scandal, the podcast takes a hard look at what can happen when athletes aren't protected. 30 for 30 podcasts and ESPNW's Heavy Metals Inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire launches July 14th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Soccer is back on ESPN+. Plus. Yes, indeed. Serie A, FA Cup, MLS, and much more. Plus, get original series exclusive studio shows, and the complete 30 for 30 library. Stream soccer from the best leagues and tournaments around the world, all in HD, all on your favorite devices. The beautiful game lives on ESPN+. Sign up today at ESPNplus.com or in the ESPN app.